Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is Adventure Editor Crafty. Morning. And Editor Editor Mal. Oh, the Maximum morning. Editor. Maximum <laughs> Peak Editor. With protein. Uh, running James <laughs> and Marcus. Now, this week, this week, we're looking at the new models that aren't exactly on the flight path for this market, but flipping well should be. Um, Left-hand drive only be damned. Um, we'll discuss a trio of recent entries to the Cars Guide Garage, and we'll catch up with an unabashed Shrek fan in this week's Musk Watch. Um, YouTubers, you can jump ahead courtesy of the time codes in the notes below, and you can click on the chapter markers in the timeline. But before we go uh, get going, Crafty, I want to get, hand the soapbox over to you. Um, yes, I know yes, you're up you. in the top end there, but uh, you have a couple yeah. of things that you want to yeah. get off your chest. Well, they do have soapboxes in the kakadu, so just hold on a second. I'll... Come on. Okay, now, <laughs> am, am I any taller? No. No, no, no I'm not. <laughs> not even a millimetre. <laughs> Damn those soapboxes. Isn't uh, it the dry season up there, Crafty? <laughs> yeah, whatever. What it looks is, like the wet season. Technical. Yeah, yeah. Well, the timing's a bit off, but you it's know. A big, big puddle. You have to dry up. That's, that's Mother Nature for you. You know, yep. unpredictable. La Nina? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Sorry. I know. Lovely Spanish lady. Um, JC, just a few quick things. The first thing is uh, we are packing for another family trip away. We only just got back a few days ago. So you may hear some noise. There may be kids yelling my wife yelling, dogs barking, tinkling, bird yeah. cheap, <laughs> chirping uh, and sirens. So I just want to apologise to <laughs> our listeners slash viewers for that. And the second thing is uh, a guy reached out to me on LinkedIn uh, with regards to our 300 series hybrid podcast a couple of weeks ago. Lovely chap. He made some salient points. Uh, his name's David Hempton. Uh, I hope he doesn't mind me calling, uh, you know, yelling out his name, but um he, uh, he took me to task because I addressed our original question uh, in terms of all EVs and I was talking about range anxiety because I remember we were talking about the, uh, before the podcast, before we went live, yep. about all EVs. But, uh, and I did uh, make the, the comment in the comments section under that podcast that, uh, you know, obviously uh, I'm talking about range anxiety with regards to electric vehicles and hybrids. Yep. Uh, range anxiety is a thing, though. I mean, Mel would know if you're remote area touring, whether it's with, uh, you know, fuel vehicles or hybrid vehicles or electric vehicles, those sort of where you are going to top up your vehicle is mm. a concern. But I do appreciate David reaching out to me, and I hope that's, uh, that's clear. Good. That's good, Crafty. All right. I hope you feel better after that cathartic uh, yeah, process. Yeah, just hold I'll on. Presume. I've got to move this soapbox. Stop it again. Okay, very good. Um, okay, any caller? Yeah, no. no? Oh. Mel's also familiar, not just with range anxiety, certain forwards, like he has ranger anxiety as well. <laughs> but, um, it, it's odd when you're heading towards the cars in the car park. Anyway, now let's... Um, Let's kick off. Let's get going. So we, we want to talk about a story that was authored by our own Stephen Otley uh, during the week. And this was about models that just everyone and their dog, Blind Freddy, could see that they'd make a lot of sense in this market. But they're always impediments to, to them coming here. Um, the Kia Telluride, for example, is one that's been kicked around a lot as being a potential huge success. Ford Bronco, um, it's even underpinned by a platform that was designed uh, to include right-hand drive, 
uh, because the Australian team um, had big input into its development, um, a, a hybrid version of the Hyundai Tucson. There are a lot of cars that should come here and I think we should uh, talk about them. Crafty, let's, let's kick it off with you and, and Bronco. It just seems to be such a no-brainer, but at the moment, it's, it's a computer says no. Yeah, I know. And I, I find that decision somewhat puzzling. And Mal will agree with me here. This this thing is unreal. Uh, and, and what the good thing is, is um, and I don't know whether you're aware of this, but ARB, the Australian aftermarket company, uh, a US branch of it, um, has already, uh, you know, pumped out the accessories and the aftermarket gear for, for the Bronco. And it looks unreal. I mean, there have been uh, images going around. Uh, some of them conceptual and some of them uh, uh, actually with the, with the products uh, on the, and it looks unreal, mate. And, and that thing yeah. is, is, yeah. is just built for fun. Uh, and it's, you know, it would suit Australia down to a T. I mean, that thing, uh, not, not entirely practical, you know, not a, not a massive thing that you could load up for, for uh, remote area touring or anything like that, but a lot of fun, very capable and with a grand tradition uh, behind it. So, yeah, yeah I, I think we'll eventually get it. We may see sort of grey imports, uh, you know, not just trickling in. I mean, a, a fair few people here. Uh, Crafty, talk about big reputation. Do you see it as a Jeep Wrangler kind of competitor? Is that where it would sit, do you reckon? Uh, it's it's certainly in that realm, and I think with the Bronco, the idea would be that you would spec up different, uh, you know, different grades of it. So you'd have your more sort of city friendly, suburban friendly thing, but then you could get one uh, that's specced up, you know, essentially with aftermarket gear uh, from the showroom floor and ready to go uh, in the in the vein of the Wrangler uh, the Rubicon. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mal. Me, the Bronco represents the FJ Cruiser that uh, Toyota can no longer give us. Uh, the That's a great Land point. Land Rover Defender that would likely cost uh, a lot less dollars. Yeah. Uh, and a Wrangler with a decent safety rating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, and also, you know, it's 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 a Ranger under the skin. It's a mm. sort of Ranger. It's, it's madness. Yeah. Everest. Yeah. So if you look at it from a Lego point of view, the bits would surely cross over between a Ranger and a Bronco, but, but. they can't keep up with American demand. So yeah. right yeah. under Australia, he's got no hope. <laughs> well, it was I nice. I thought, way I thought, down the line of uh, yeah, priority mm. for them at the moment. Whether... I thought Stephen Otley's description was fantastic when he said it's a mystery right up there with the Bermuda Triangle as to why it's not uh, coming here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty accurate. Um now, there's, there's that one. Let's move on to the Toyota Tundra. That's another one that's been kicked around on a pretty uh, regular basis. What do you make of that, Mal? The, like a big Toyota truck. Um, Hilux, of course, is the best-selling oh. car in the country. Pardon me, in the country. Um, what do you make of the, the Tundra's prospects? Well, if I can speak from the Lego perspective once again, um, I've always been suspicious of how much uh, under the skin is shared between the Tundra and the 200 series Land Cruiser. It just, yeah, just, nah. but uh, they don't make the Tundra in a diesel. And uh-huh. uh, you, you do see a handful over here that have been converted uh, and you see them towing giant caravans, but yeah. I always oh, think, yeah. imagine paying that fuel bill oh, with yeah. a petrol yeah. engine. <laughs> yes. uh, so if only uh, America loved diesels a little bit more and uh, Australia had more people uh yeah. within it uh, could it could it ultimately be yeah. a tundra hybrid 
yeah, I mean that that might be what uh, what gets us over the line in the future. And you know, it's pretty clear that Toyota Australia would love to bring us more Utes. Yes, because uh, yeah. we certainly keep buying them. Yeah, um, but just not not yet. So yes, but it's okay. you know, as far as I understand, it's a good it's a good big truck. Well, that's right because you look at Ram with the fifteen hundred, mm. and yep. you know they've they've kicked many more goals than they thought they were going to. Yeah, um, and now you'll have the even more Chevy Silverados. Um, it's it's growing market for those pickups, and I'm sure Toyota's watching it very closely. But yeah, without a diesel yeah. engine, that's the and, impediment, I suppose. And look, Ram sells plenty of 1500s, yep. but uh, I just don't think Toyota's in the business of setting up sort of third party uh, remanufacturing no. operations. No, the same way yeah. that Ram has achieved it with uh, with the the Walkinshaw Group. Yeah, good point. Good point. So another one that has been uh, kicked around in in this broader discussion is the the Kia Telluride, which in broad terms is an equivalent for Hyundai's Palisade, which has come here and there was a lot of anticipation. It maybe hasn't set the world on fire in, in the way some people expected, but there's no doubt there's an appetite for a big Kia and I'm sure the local executives would love to have it here. Mel? Oh yeah, without without doubt. I mean, a, a rather large SUV uh, <laughs> seems to work in Australia. But there's there's a key difference between my understanding between the the Telluride and the Palisade, and the Palisades made in South Korea, and the Tellurides made in the US. Um, and if I can speak to the uh, the Lego perspective once again, oh, please mm. do. The Palisade mm. shares a lot with the Santa Fe. And also, which also comes from South Korea. So it's yes. kind of like whack the Santa Fe bits in the Palisade and send it to Australia. Whereas the Telluride uh, doesn't have that sort of natural advantage, you know, being produced in a left-hand drive focused market. So the Palisade's already not the cheapest car on the market. So it would therefore push the um, yep. Telluride even further. So yeah. And Mel, I think you should be transparent about your um, influencer side hustle on Instagram. And I know Lego is one of your supporters. You should uh, yeah. should probably just come clean about that. Yeah. I know. Well, I've, seen to, I've seen to mention it every week. Maybe they'd like to. He is in the new series of um, Lego Masters, JC. Yeah, there you go. Bingo. And there is a... Uh, oh, here a you mini- go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there is a mini figure Mel coming. So, um, Very good. Very good. All right, now, look, and I've got some within two metres behind that wall, but not in my hand. Very good, very good. Now, uh, another one uh, that would be, you would presume, uh, would have some success in this market, CX-30 turbo version. Um, you've got cars like the, um, you know, T-Roc 140 TSI, which uh, Volkswagen has, but no CX-30 from Mazda. Um, what's going on there, Mal? Again, to you. Oh, well, my understanding is that once again, it's a left-hand drive-only thing, but uh, I'm growing increasingly sceptical of Mazda's not for Australia initial statements because they keep overcoming it. You know, they Steve, do. Uh, they Steve do. pointed out the CX-8 was Japan only. We got the CX-8. Yep. Then it was diesel only, but we managed to get a petrol version just for Australia. Yeah. Um, uh, I think reading between the lines, they've launched the CX-30 and they've added the CX-30 uh, with the, the M hybrid version, the SkyQX engine. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a choice between the two uh, and they've gone with the uh, SkyQX engine to, just to kind of increase our familiarity and access to that uh, brilliant technology with the compression yeah. emission petrol engine uh, because it's 
pretty clear that um, you know efficiency uh, driven or focused cars are kind of showing a bit more potential than performance cars at the moment. Yeah, so yeah. That's, but I think that's my seat of the pants vibe anyway. I suppose the seat of the pants vibe that's always a mal uh, you know guiding principle. The the mm. other thing is a guiding principle in this podcast is you never know. You know that that we uh, you have those very firm statements. I know, Crafty. We've been in podcasts before where we've talked about prospective models, and it's uh, yeah. Well, you never know. Okay, and the oh, palisade yeah. the palisade wasn't meant to happen, and various others weren't meant to happen. So you yeah. never know. Yeah, um, and from Mazda's perspective, you know the way that uh, I don't mean to to speak ill of, of of the people involved, but like I think that it's incredibly uh, it's amazing that they overcome these initial. Uh, you know, stop signs. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, for example, Byron Byron has his uh, various sources around the place. And he, for one, is very confident that Bronco will come here. And that, yes, the initial no is probably, as you say, Mal, um, demand-driven in that other markets are going to soak up all the production. But it'll it'll come here at some point. And look, FJ Cruiser was initially a no for a very long time. We got it well into its life. Yeah, you're right. That's a good one. In Australia loved it. Yep. Uh, yep. So hold your breath, or maybe don't hold your breath. No. Uh, <laughs> no. There'd be a lot of people turning blue by the time. Maybe watch this space. <laughs> That's right. Um, look, let's let's wrap it up with one more, which is the Hyundai Tucson hybrid. Um, so you've got a lack of hybrid models uh, for Hyundai. They're experimenting, um, of course, in the fuel cell electric vehicle area, but the, the hybrid thing, um, they're not exactly on the leading edge. So um, we've got, oh, uh, what are we getting? We're getting the Santa Fe hybrids, second half of 2021, but Tucson looks less promising, according to, to Stephen. What do you yeah. make of that, Mal? I think, once again, the official line is uh, due to where each uh, version is made. I think ah. the, um, the hybrids made in the Czech Republic. Public, that's the, right. Uh, the ones we're getting come from South Korea. Yeah. Uh, now, look, over the years, we've had plenty of cars out of that Czech plant. So uh, I think it's very much a never say never uh, proposition again. Uh, and, you know, the car's not even here yet. So it's yes. very early days for that. For the new we, we ran a story, did we not, where we followed a car from uh, production yep. through to its arrival in Australia. Yep. Oh, I accompanied yeah. one from, uh, you know, from flat steel to, uh, to painted and wheels and test driving. Yeah. Uh, along that production line, and then you um, you had your hammer and do- uh, dolly, didn't you? You were actually knocking out a few of the imperfections <laughs> along the along the way. You could joke and say, "Look, it needed a bit of a tidy up," but no, that, that production facility is F one grade. It is amazing. Great. Okay, everyone's wearing t shirts and fit and healthy, and you know, it's wow, what you imagine from a factory. Um, right. But then, yeah, so that car, we've we waited several months for that car to arrive in Australia, which is a reminder of how slow these boats are. Uh, and then Richard and Tom went and picked it up in and Melbourne, drove it, drove it from Melbourne to Sydney. Sydney yeah. And then Richard lived with it. So That's yes, right. we know that the Tucson uh, distribution story uh, very well. Yeah. You'd left a message for Richard in the glove box, hadn't you, when the car was actually in the plant? <laughs> in, the, in, <laughs> the, in the panels, mate. We, had, we put a sticker <laughs> on the his window. wallet. Yeah. We weren't allowed to uh, put things in the glove box. We put a <laughs> sticker on the window. And annoyingly, it got washed off by the time it got to Australia. Cool. But, uh, Apparently, when Jeeps were being made during the Second World War, um, the people putting them together would often put messages for the soldiers that would ultimately be on the receiving end of the Jeeps, like, good on you, keep it going, blah, blah, blah. So wow. I'm sure it was something along those lines, Mel. Oh, trust me, I wanted to. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's it. If if um, if people listening or or watching want to tell us what they think of those particular models or anything else that they reckon is just a no-brainer in terms of coming to Australia, just smash through all the constraints and, and get them here. Let us know what your thoughts are. But we will now move to our garage and Crafty. Could we kick it off with you, please? You have been in a Cars Guide standard favourite uh, vehicle for the last oh. little while. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I kept getting texts from Mal because he was so incredibly envious uh while well, i had it another chimney uh the glx uh, the auto um unreal had a ball in it uh still very capable as it as it's ever been um had lots of fun uh it's um kind of like driving a go-kart on the road for better or worse great, great. Uh, a little, little bit noisy um a little bit sort of uh, all over the shop. It's a real engaging driving experience, with, with which I tend to love because I've, I've only ever had older vehicles. Yeah. Um, but uh, and I love that feeling that you're in there, you're actually controlling the thing every second. If you're not engaged and and concentrating, you know, then you know things might uh, might get a little bit strange. Well, that that would be a massive challenge for you, Crafty. Because, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, for you yeah. to maintain a level of concentration for any length of time well you know generally i'm while driving i'm busy updating my tinder so uh, whatever that is <laughs> hang on how do we insert a disclaimer that was a joke. <laughs> um, so, uh you know and mel knows with these sorts of things like the 70s series and the, and yeah. the rubicon all these things when you get in you really are driving the thing you really are steering you've got to be on your game there's yeah. so much fun but so much fun but, um, and it's, and so it's, much hard, more, it's hard to give them back. So much more civilised than the, the the old Zooks of old. You know, oh, they, absolutely. Yeah. They oh, were yeah. truly engaging. And, oh, no, now, these ones yeah. have got Android Auto, CarPlay, yeah. uh, climate control. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Isofix child seat mounts in the back Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, but, yeah, just laden with charm, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. No. no, I was just going to say, aren't we on the receiving end of a four-door uh, version, slightly longer wheelbase and what have you in the very near future? Well, no one's willing to confirm it, but it just mm, it's hard to imagine it not happening. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think for me, it's it's the, the Maruti version in India, the massive yeah. success that they had in the past with... Uh, Lang language, Mal. Language. Yeah. yeah. What's yeah. your language, Mal? What's your language? Uh, it's a fa family yeah. podcast. That offends I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it again. No. 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 Am I? Well, apologies if I'm offended. <laughs> Maruti, is it? Oh. Oh, you've said oh, it again. To... Um, it anyway, makes a, that makes so Maruti, a lot of sense to me. Yes. Yeah. It's so like you just know it's going to wind up in India as yeah. as, uh, as a longer wheelbase car for the masses. Yeah. Um, if, and just ho hopefully they continue to sort of put the safety stuff in it and yeah. all, all the numbers not, add up and make it suitable for us. Not not compromise, yeah, in a, yeah. In, a, in, a in a backwards kind of way. And, and yeah. Uh, well, if anyone's over that story, JC, it'll be our man with a plan, Andrew Chesterton. He'll be all over right. the yarn like with a like he a will. cheap suit. Is that the same? Did I just offend someone who wears cheap suits? <laughs> Me? No, I'm I just going to move this soapbox. I think that's a I think that's a wardrobe upgrade for Chester, isn't it? Into a cheap suit. He usually uh, usually works in the nude, doesn't he? 
couple of times I've accidentally spilt coffee on him and he's, uh, he hasn't been happy. So. Yes, I remember that drama. That that Well, the one in the office anyway. That's right. Um, now, Mel, let's move to you, please. Thank you, Crafty. We've, ah, got, sure. we've got a couple of German brands. We've got a whole bunch of E's, 3's, 0's. Please fill us in, Mel. Yeah, so ordinarily we wouldn't do two cars, but these, these two cars are kind of representing the same thing at the moment. So I've uh, driven, been fortunate enough to drive back to back this week, the Mercedes-Benz E300e and the BMW 330e. Now, you know, one's an E-Class, one's a 3-series, so not the same size, but they both have plug-in hybrid drivetrains. They look just like a normal 3-series uh, and E-Class, but they both have uh, plug-in hybrid drivetrains. And both, both represent a really important point on the spectrum of electrification at this point, I think in that both have just enough electric range to cover most daily commutes yep. with regular petrol engines as backup when you forget to plug it in or go on bigger trips. So you can still jump in and drive it to, to Perth if you want to and fill up at any servo and not worry about the electric thing. Yes. Uh, yep. So it's kind of the best of both worlds at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, both have an official electric range of around 50 Ks. Um, However, I managed to get a full 70 kilometres out of the Benz on electric only and 75 out of the BMW uh, on drives that were mainly comprised of motorway running, right. uh, which is... Which is not their forte. Generally not their forte and generally the opposite of their forte, electric cars. But the big difference with these ones is the electric motor drives through the transmission, whereas uh, EVs to date tend to be direct drive. So the yeah. faster you go, the faster they spin, the less efficient they are. So these are sending, you know, the, the Mercedes is a nine-speed transmission and the, the BIM is an eight-speed. Um, yeah. And so once you're cruising on the highway, they're just ticking along uh, using that maximum torque from, you know, no revs. Fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, decent highway range. And that was that was only partial highway as well. So uh, pretty impressive. Um, but and, other than that, like a typical E-Class, typical 3 Series, was there anything distinctively yeah. different in the in the general uh, character of the car? Uh, you lose a bit of boot. Um, and okay. look, I didn't, I didn't um, sort of test their outright dynamic capability. They're both heavier, of course. You lose a bit of boot. Um, the E300 has a bit less power, I think, than the regular E300. But it's, it's all about making it work better with the electric uh, drivetrain. And look, they're both very capable performers. Um, the, the other thing with these is they have relatively small batteries. Yep. Therefore, they can be easily charged overnight with a standard power point. Uh, yep. Unlike, you know, full electric cars with a massive battery generally take about 48 hours if that you bet. charged at home. On house power, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's at house power, not from a, a wall box or a charge station. But... Um, yeah, these two just a bit easier. So now it's not fair to look at these cars through a pure liters per hundred perspective. And if you look at the, I think the Mercedes has an official ADR combined figure of 2.2 liters per hundred, but that's just how it performs during that test on a dyno. Uh, the actual figure will vary considerably depending on how far you drive it. Mm -hmm. So the further yep. you drive it, the more petrol you're using because you've run out of electric juice. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. So after up. that first hundred, yeah, yeah. it's telling. But um, it's fair to say they they you know they still offer the the excellent petrol efficiency that their regular petrol versions offer. Uh, but with the added benefit of being able to reduce that to zero for most daily commutes if you keep the batteries charged. Um, 
but they both also got me thinking that if you drive them all the time on the electric motors, that's you're it. Kind of, you're kind of wasting the fact that you've gone and purchased these excellent petrol drivetrains as well, and you're also lugging around hundreds of kilos of extra mass. Yeah. Um, but if your lifestyle involves a good mix of short and long distances, uh, these Perfect. are a great solution. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. And um, you probably got a tank of stale fuel after about yeah six months. Yeah, well, um, no doubt. You know, no doubt the uh, engine management systems have got warnings built in to, to make sure that doesn't happen. But um, mm. Mm. but yeah, mighty good point. And you know, it's lots of kilos of petrol sitting in the boot you're dragging around exactly. too. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so very compelling options these two. And, great. Uh, in the case of the Mercedes, uh, it only adds an extra $6,400 above the regular petrol E300. And for the Beamer, it's only, it's only an extra $7,000. So in the world of German brands, that's nothing. nothing. In percentage yeah, terms also, it's very small. Yes. Yeah. So uh, very compelling options. And okay. you know, if you're not wanting to shout to the world that you're driving an electric car by having a full electric car that has its own specific design, if you're just wanting to enjoy electrification in a regular car. Yep. There they are. Cool. Very good. Very good. Okay. Thank you, Mel. Um, I will chip in with the car that I've been driving recently, and it is the Volkswagen T-Cross. So this is the smaller um, SUV, as I understand it, Polo-based. And this is the 85 TFSI style. So it's a one-liter turbo petrol triple, and it's pumping out a staggering 85 kilowatts. Uh, But it has... 200 newton meters, it's a seven speed dual clutch uh, transmission, front wheel drive, 30,990, but at the moment it's 33,490 drive away. So we're in the the kind of low $30,000 bracket. Um, The car that I was driving had Makina turquoise metallic paint, which is a very distinctive shade. I think you've got to be ready for it if you you choose that, if you tick that box. It's it's the color they use on the ads. It's a pretty strong color. Uh, it'll cost you $800. And it also had the R-Line package, which was two and a half grand. So you go from 17s up to 18-inch alloys, um, R-Line stuff, you know, a bit of body kit, some tinted glass, um, some tricky stuff on the dashboard treatment, and uh, leather, multifunction, sports wheel, the alloy-covered pedals. And you get cloth and microfiber upholstery, which is actually very nice. The trim is super nice. So... It's also at that money, at that kind of lowish 30K bracket, it's loaded. It's adaptive cruise. You get the alloys, the blind, blind spot, dual zone climate, LED headlights, park assist, on it goes. It's, there is a lot of equipment in the car for that price. And um, I also thought it rode well for a car that has a wheelbase under 2.6 metres. It, it rides like a car that's a bit longer uh, between the axles, I thought, and it steers nicely. Um, good interior space. It's the space that's there, it's not a big car, but it is very flexible and, and space efficient. And the impressive finish, the way it's actually put together on the way the car's finished, as is you know, generally the case with Volkswagen, it's very impressive from that point of view. Um, on, the, on the not so uh, positive side, I found the dual clutch, it's not exactly a triumph. You know, Volkswagen uh, Group has come a long way in terms of their dual clutch transmissions. This one felt like a, a, cup, a you know a step or two back. It was a ponderous, particularly at, at parking type speeds. And when you're going from step off and want to get going, it was not exactly with you um, a lot of the time. And it's not exactly a powerhouse either. Um, it's only 1,240 kegs. It's not a heavy car. 
uh, and you do get that maximum torque low down, but sometimes you just feel there could be a little bit more of it. So uh, not, not a huge deal, but it's, it's in such a competitive market. You know, you've got Celtos and CHR and Kona and HRV and CX3 on it. On it goes. Go to Kamek. Kamek. It's, it's just this hot, under the skin. hot bed of the market. So I, I think it has a lot to offer, particularly in terms of its equipment, its comfort, the way it's finished. Um, you know, it's a Volkswagen. They're up to a five-year warranty and all that now. But, um, yeah, just that, that dual clutch was a bit of a a bit of a, a, a pain from time to time. All right, now, we are, where are we next? We are going to go to feedback um, from last time around. And this uh, Richard very kindly stood in and hosted the podcast last time out and uh, with Matt uh, Campbell and Byron, Matthew Darkus. And they were talking about future Aussie classics, which was a really meaty topic to get into. And Grudden 74 came back and said that he agrees that the 86, the Toyota, Toyota 86 is a modern classic, but he adds, you know, so is a car like the Porsche Cayman um, GTS. So uh, you've got all parts of the market covered there. And Crafty says, um, he said, welcome back, Byron, bringing old man grumblings that make Crafty seem millennial. <laughs> um, so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a grumble off between you and and Byron apparently. That's yeah. a loaded comment. That yeah. is, isn't it? That's that's like uh, you it's know a, like a compliment, but not really. Yeah, good on you, Grumble. I, I can't think I'll of how to you explain at the pub, that in Lego terms. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> no. you. Yeah, no, but please do, please do, Grumble. You, me, car park now. Um, <laughs> um, it's not broken. Said, do you think the Mitsubishi three eighty will appreciate in value soon? He says mine is a keeper. Um, and there were very people, various people came back and thought, no, not so much. Ness, you know, thought, oh, look, it's US design, recycled for Australia, nothing attractive, blah, blah, blah. My mind went to the Rally Art supercharged uh, version, whether or not they'd be an appreciating car at this stage. I presume, they, I presume they would be. I think there's only about 10 of them, though, isn't there? Well, there you go. They're much sought after <laughs> and super low volume. All the ingredients are there for appreciation. I saw one once. Yeah. Really? Wow. Right. Was it on a motor show stand, I presume? Was it in a dream? Uh, no, on the road. <laughs> in a <laughs> dream. <laughs> um, Peter Berger, known to his friends, of course, as Ham, uh, <laughs> came, came in and said, look, the, the Ford Focus RS in lime green. So there we're talking a late noughties, I think. Uh, With Revo knuckles. I want to say 08, 09, something like that. And he also put in the BMW 1 Series M Coupe. Um, and Nessuno chipped in again and said that's, that car's already gone up to the 70k mark, stayed there um, only pristine ones may go a bit higher, then we, we tapped in our old mate Hammer Crafty, it's oh Hammer Rocks Hammer Rocks, um, yeah. there was a bit of debate about pronunciation of car names and I had chucked in a Hyundai uh, mm. and that was a bit tongue in cheek because I know that's how that brand is pronounced yeah. in the US yeah. for example yeah you go to Korea, the, the actual, the way in which Korean people pronounce Hyundai has a bit of a huh in it. So it's a Hyundai, Hyundai. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So makes sense. Yep. Hyundai is not a million miles away from that. And no. we tend, in Australia tend to say Hyundai, Hyundai. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he says Hyundai is pronounced by the Koreans and the Korean head office as Hyundai, just like the Germans pronounce Porsche as Porsche, not Porsche. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Um, he says he's even started pronouncing Volkswagen like the Germans. So Volkswagen, Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Um, and in Australia, he cringes each time he hears tourists pronouncing Uluru as, Uluru as 
Yularoo. <laughs> um, he says it doesn't just doesn't sound right. It no, sounds like they'd uh, be Australian tourists too. I would have <laughs> thought so. I would have thought so. With their favourite footy team scarf around and the beanie That's on. Right. Yeah. It's like oh, here Captain Kim. Here yeah. we are at Yularoo. And <laughs> but he stops at pronouncing the following on how they probably should be pronounced correctly. Yeah. Um, Nutella, he, he, you know, would be Nutella. Yeah. And yeah. IKEA would be IKEA. Mm-hmm. So he's not gonna he's not gonna do that. He stops short of that. So fair enough. Fair enough, Hammer. Um, now we are going to move on to many people's favorite segment in the shape of Musquatch. Musquatch. Well, big news. This week, I was out early in the morning. Sometimes I'm just lurking around in the shadows, a bit like Crafty. Uh, in the pre, bushes somewhere, yeah. Yeah, in the bushes yeah, somewhere, pre-sunrise. Yeah. yeah. And I saw a Starlink satellite train coming across the sky. It just kind of emerged. Um, this was Tuesday morning. And I gave it a go, but my camera footage was crap. I actually mm. pulled the camera out because, of course, I take the, the phone out with me with the camera function early in the morning mm. as well. Yes. Um, but it didn't quite capture it. So the clip that we're going to show people watching on YouTube was from a New Zealand uh, mob called Yenar Productions, which I love. Um, and it was of the satellites going over Christ, uh, Christchurch in New Zealand. But it's exactly the same as the procession I saw. And it, it felt like I was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind or something like that. My God, there they actually are. Mm. Um, and Starlink is now live in Australia. So uh, according to the ABC News, It'll deliver faster internet, uh, particularly to people in regional and and rural areas. So they've got what they're calling their beta uh, test, known as better than nothing beta. That's what they're calling it, (laughs) better than nothing beta. And they're charging $700 for a rooftop uh, satellite dish. And they're going to, uh, it was launched in the second half of last year and initially ran at speeds of about 100 megabits per second. Um, so with that's, that's roughly equivalent, apparently, to a pretty good NBN-type speed, uh, about twice your typical 4G mobile internet service. And the ABC managed to chat with a person in Canberra who'd received his Starlink setup uh, box, and he'd set it up, connected to the Wi-Fi, and was immediately getting blazingly fast internet, 344 megabits a second. Um, and over the next day or so, it settled down to between 150 and 250. And for him, it was like Christmas, you know. Um, so current um, uh, internet using geostationary satellites, it's not, not the same. These um, SpaceX Starlink ones are much lower orbit. And apparently the coverage is going to be good. So for people in regional parts of Australia, it could be a real boon. But there I saw it in the sky and thought, wow. That's, uh, there are going to be thousands of them, ultimately. Wow. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, moving on from that, on Twitter this week, <laughs> Elon put, out, put the question out there. He said, where is Shrek 5? Right? So he's demanding a fifth um, iteration of the Shrek franchise. Mm. And, well, he's got but, young kids now, doesn't he, or something? Well, they'll well, be, you he's, know, they'll got be... Kids, he's got kids all over the place. He's mm. got, you know, a relative newborn and five sons from previous marriages or whatever but he wants a fifth version of shrek okay and bacon on wheels said if i'm going to be honest with you 
in my own humble opinion, without being sentimental, of course, without offending anyone who thinks differently from my own point of view, but also by looking into this matter in distinctive perspective, I would like to say, I have nothing to say. <laughs> so I thought, I thought that was pretty good. And then Doge came in and said, this does not change the fact that in Antarctica, there are 21 million penguins. And in Malta, there are 502,653 inhabitants. So if the penguins decide to invade Malta, each Maltese will have to fight 42 penguins. <laughs> and on the back of that, Drex That's the Viking hell. said, yeah. currently I'm sitting at home waiting for my son to wake up. After that, we're gonna go have a mud bath in the forest. If you want to join us, just let me know. Thumbs up emoji. So that's the kind of response that Elon gets when he demands a fifth Shrek film. Uh, Bacon on wheels, Doge and Drex the Viking come back. Oh, okay. Yep. But the, the share price is up a bit, $732. It's up about $60. It was 670 odd last week. But MarketWatch is seeing Tesla topping $1,000 basically because of their energy business, looking beyond the cars, their, um, their battery and energy storage technology. They're saying it'll radically change the battery market, um, enabling them to maintain a lead in BAVs, which, BEVs, which is debatable because um, the big guns are really ramping up their, their EV game, but also Powerwall products and storage, and they're gonna have their factories in Texas and Berlin and Nevada, and they'll have their new battery cell technology um, coming shortly. So there are various analysts seeing Tesla as a thousand plus uh, share price in the not, not too distant future. So time will tell whether they are actually on the money. So, are you still holding on to your uh, 2000 shares, Jason? My, uh, my theoretical 2000 shares are mm. fluctuating uh, mm. along nicely. But mm. um, I, I think with that, we have reached the finish line. And I want to say thank you, Mal. Thank you, James and Marcus. Uh, no, and thank, thank you, thank you, Crafty. No, thank you, and thank you, Mal. Uh, and look, Mr. Pritchard has started a uh, Mr. Pritchard started a TAFE course on how to infiltrate the witness protection program. Um, he's on a retreat with his tutor at the moment, although not surprisingly, we have no idea where he is. Um, so thanks again to Mr. Sullivan on the production front. His wardrobe is becoming ever more Pritchard-like in its flamboyance. Um, this time around. He's turned into an arm-flailing inflatable tube man, which undoubtedly made operating the panel a challenge. And I have this strange urge to buy a used car every time I see him. Thank you. I already Thank you. have. Thank you, Brett, for bought one online. He cuts, uh, a, he cuts a fetching figure, doesn't he, old Brady Sullivan? It. And um, he's ripped, ripped to the bone, shredded, whatever you kids ripped. say. What I don't know. Unbelievable rip. Uh, yeah. Let us know your thoughts. Cut, that's it. <laughs> You can find Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. It helps other people find the podcast. Remember, you can also watch us on YouTube. And if you already are, make sure you subscribe to the Cars Guide channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, a bloke takes his car to the mechanic after it mysteriously conks out. Once it's off the flatbed, the mechanic takes it in the workshop and opens up the bonnet, only to find a small fruit bat hanging upside down in the engine bay. The bat looks up and says, hey, you look nice today, mate. 
immediately the mechanic straightens up and says to the bloke, well, that's your problem right there. Bat flattery. <laughs> it's a shocker. I, mean, I thought it was, it was great. <laughs> it was a shocker, but 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 great, yeah.